0: to our uh, message for today. And we're starting a new series today. And to start us off, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to start with two different things. That we're going to kind of kick things off, but then I'm going to, we're going to hold off to the very end to come back to them. I want to show you a brief video clip, and I want to read the passage, the main passage, that we're going to be looking at today. To intro the video, a couple months ago, a woman named Jane Markuski who goes by the stage name name Nightbird, performed an original song on America's Got Talent. I have to admit, I have a... um, I I watch a lot of America's Got Talent on Instagram stories. That's how I I see the highlights. And um, there's just... I love... Um, I love the golden buzzer stories. I love these kind of odd things. I just, I, that's my, I'm just going to chill for a little bit and, de- and just unwind and watch these amazing weird acts sometimes. But then this one was just totally different. Did anybody see this or has seen this, Nightbird? Okay, so if you haven't, this is amazing. Um, so she, she, she came on Americans Got Talent to sing this original song that she wrote. But before she went into it, she spoke to everyone just about the reality that she is battling cancer for the third time. Um, The way that the story came out, they thought that she had, it was over, but she explained, no, she's going through this right now, and it left everyone really speechless. You can feel it, not only on the judges panel, but in the entire auditorium. But she sang her song, and I want you to hear this song that she sang.
1: In the summertime I changed my name thinking that it would change my mind I thought that all my problems they would stabilize.
0: Good? All right. So, really powerful song. Um, There's a lot more to it. I only wanted to show you that little clip, though, um, because we're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to uh, what happened right after this. because I think it's a powerful metaphor, illustration, for the main passage that we want to focus in on today, that I want to look at and just ask God to speak to our hearts through. And that passage is Ephesians 2.10. Let me read that for you. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Just one verse today, but a powerful one. I want you to see how the song illustrates it. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're starting with these two things But we're going to work our way to them toward the end. Before we do, let's pray again and just ask God to speak to us. God, we do come before you and we're grateful that you are here. We're grateful that you are present. We are grateful for your love. We're grateful for your control. We're grateful for your sovereignty, your grace, for your love, God. Thank you that we can be together and worship you. Thank you that we can watch online and worship you together to be encouraged from your word. God, we pray specifically this morning for those in the world who are hurting, who are in true persecution, who are in suffering. I want to pray specifically for those in Afghanistan. I want to pray for the men, the women, the children of this country, regardless of their faith, regardless of what they believe, regardless of anything. These people, God, I pray you would help them. God, I pray that you would protect. I pray that you would move in the people of the world and other countries to come alongside and help. And intervene in this situation that you would be the one moving and working, God. God, we just, it's mind-blowing. I can't get my head around it all, and so I pray for them. I think of the churches, the nonprofits, the humanitarian efforts in the country. Pray for these people as well, God, as they are trying to be your hands and feet, as they try to extend care. God, I pray that you would strengthen them and protect them. So we think about that, just joining you in being part of what you're doing. God, I pray that you would let us see how we can be doing that here, now, where you have us. And so, Spirit, move in this room. Penetrate our hearts, penetrate our distractions, penetrate our excuses, our comfortability, our complacency, whatever it might be. Let us hear from you. But God, help us to not just be hearers, but doers also. In your name we pray, amen. Um, There's an old story about Akiva, the rabbi, who had been in, in a village to gather supplies. Walking back to his cottage, he absentmindedly took the wrong path, and suddenly a voice came through the darkness asking him this, Who are you? And why are you here? Who are you? And why are you here? Shocked to awareness, this is late at night, it's dark, Akiva realized he had wandered into the Roman garrison. And the voice had come from a young sentry who was keeping guard, as he should. But being a rabbi, he answered the question with another question. How much do they pay you to stand guard, young man, and ask that question of all who approach? The sentry, now seeing that this was not a dangerous intruder, but a rabbi answered meekly, five dramakas a week, sir. At that point, the rabbi offered, young man, I will double your pay if you come with me, stand in front of my cottage and ask me that question each morning as I begin my day. Ask me every morning, who are you? And why are you here? Who are you? And why are you here? Have you ever been asked that question? I would say the reality is is that it's a question that we each need to ponder. And not just once, but probably daily and for a long time. And in that, maybe the rabbi's offer for money to this young man was well spent. Who are you and why are you here? Over the next few weeks, I want to focus in on this question as we talk about the concept of vocation. Now, when you hear the word vocation, we immediately think of terms like job or work. And yes, those can definitely be a part of it, but they don't fully cut it either. Many people work many hours to produce something in order to get paid so that they can do other things in the time that they aren't working to do all of that. But if you see your job as simply where you clock in and put in hours to get your pay, does that process truly give a meaningful answer to the question, who are you and why are you here? And what if you don't have a job? if you're in search for one, if you're retired from one, does that mean you can't answer the question? What about the parent who stays at home doing all the work with the kids and and the home and all the things that get unnoticed with no title or paycheck or office for all of the effort that they put into it? Does that mean that they can't answer the question? To simply see vocation as job I would say, is shallow and lacking. And we need to go deeper into what this word means. Vocation comes from the Latin word, which basically just means voice or call. Now, there's been kind of a polar kind of shift as far as how people have thought about this, kind of broadly, generally speaking, over time. In early history, and specifically early church history, only certain people were called. Only certain people were called by God. To be called by God to a specific work was thought to be for only those going into ministry or for some type of religious order. There was specific religious work that specific people were called to, and then there was everybody else. And so you were called to the religious thing, or you were everybody else. Thankfully, that idea was challenged. That this isn't how God thinks of things. And the more biblical sound teaching was grasped. That whatever work God has for us is holy work. Martin Luther said, Every occupation has its own honor before God. In our daily work, no matter how important or how mundane, we serve God by serving the neighbor, and we also participate in God's ongoing providence for the human race. It isn't just that only those who are doing religious things are called. No, everything is a holy thing. So trying to adjust it from this extreme. But today the problem moves too far in the other extreme. Work being called to something is irrelevant. Is it even something we would talk about? Work is, well, merely work. It's not guaranteed as meaningful, let alone spiritual. Our culture's view of work can be heavily individualistic. It's focused on me. I put the hours in. I receive my check. I pay my bills. I buy my stuff. And it's a rinse and repeat cycle that isolates us in our own lives, dealing with the stress of maintaining or getting more. It's a cycle that can, be, that can cut us completely off from those around us and even the greater world. But this modern idea of work is not a good one. In his book, Lost Connections, uncovering the real causes of depression, author Joan Harry shares the story of a guy named Joe whose job was to mix paint. Joe knew people need paint, he told me. He added once again that he knew he should be grateful but he said he couldn't stand the thought that his life would be like this for another 35 years until he retired. Like, you like what you do, right? When you wake up in the morning, you look forward to your day. When I wake up, he said, I don't look forward to work. It's just something I have to do. Have you ever felt that way about what you do? This is just something that I have to do. Hari also shares the findings Of a 2011-2012 Gallup study, huge, massive study, of how people worldwide feel about their work. The study was with millions of workers over 142 countries. Massive, massive study asking people how they feel about their work. Of those who participated, now these numbers are only 13% said that they were engaged in their jobs, meaning they were enthusiastic about and committed to their work and contribute to their organization in a positive manner. That means 87% of those who participated in the study said they were either not engaged or actively not engaged. They were sleepwalking through their workday, putting time but not energy or passion into their work. Can we agree that's not good? That's not how it should be. And what we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe that's true? That that's not good? And that's not how it should be. How does that reality, 87%, how does that reality help anybody answer the question, who am I? And why am I here? Could it be any wonder we struggle with identity, that we struggle with a sense of purpose or how we fit into the world? The way our world sees work can actually numb these ideas and numb any sense of identity that we have, that we would just produce what we have to go and binge some stuff at night and maybe have some fun on the weekend before we have to start the whole thing over again. Where, why, who are you and why are you here? I truly believe that this is not God's desire for our lives. It is not God's desire for our lives. Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying that working is not God's. That's no. Working is good. It's a good thing. But our existence and our mentality, God does not want us to, an exi- to exist with a mentality that we just, or did not create us to simply sleepwalk through our days. God did not create us to simply be accumulators of more stuff. He did not make us to be insignificant lemmings, simply going through the motions of life. God wants us to flourish within the life that he offers us. God wants us to flourish within his grace and his love, his forgiveness and his truth. God wants us to flourish as part of something greater than ourselves, impacting others, joining him in what he's doing. God wants us to have a definitive answer to the question, who are you and why are you here? God gives us a definitive answer to the first part, who who am I? To be a follower of Jesus is to know the answer to that first part. It's to know who we are in him. It says in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 2 Corinthians 5, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Galatians two twenty. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. If you follow Jesus, then your identity in him is the answer to, who am I? Someone might say that you are a loser, but you are a winner in God's eyes. Somebody might say you are worthless, but God has given his life for you. God, but people might not have anything to do with you, might be indifferent to you, might look down on you, and God is the opposite. God's eyes are upon you. He loves you. He pursues you. He wants you to be in a life and a relationship with him. God is the one who answers that question for us. Who am I? He wants you to be his child. He wants you to be part of his kingdom. He wants you to find your identity in him. But here is the huge, massive, important thing that we need to grasp. That identity is also the birthplace and the drive for how we answer the second part of the question. Why am I here? We don't ask that question, or we don't ask it enough. Why am I here? We may not realize how much we go along with the culture's paradigm of work, of work without meaning, and in turn we miss out on discovering God's purposes for us, or we might think he has none for us. The answer to who am I helps us discover the answer to why am I here. God wants us to be beacons of light in a world of purposelessness and darkness so that people, people can discover the flourishing life of the resurrection which God has made possible and lovingly offers to us. So this is where vocation comes in. Vocation is letting your life speak in the way God has shaped you so people will experience his love and the life that he offers. Next slide. Vocation is letting your life speak in the way God has shaped you so people will experience his love and the life he offers. Do not miss what I'm about to say, your vocation is not about what you get paid for. Your vocation is not about your job or your career exclusively, even though they might be, your vocation might be expressed in those things. Like I said, it goes deeper than this. It is how your life speaks in the manner God has shaped you so that people will experience his love and the life he has for you, for them. Author William Platcher says, Central to the the many Christian interpretations of vocation is the idea that there is something God has called me to with my life, and my life has meaning and purpose, at least in part, because I am fulfilling my calling. Frederick Bigner says, The place God calls us to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I mean, there could not be a more short, poetic definition and description of vocation than what he says. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness, where you find the joy of being a child of God in the manner in which he shaped you, how that connects and meets some of the world's deepest hungers, needs, things we see around us. Discovering your vocation, your, how your voice is to speak for the Lord and his love, is a journey. We're talking about it for the next few weeks. And we're going to talk about next week and how to begin discovering it. But even in that, it is not something that you just figure out in a day. It is a process of listening, of discerning, of community, of joy, and even at times of real struggle. But for all that's involved in this journey, this much I know as absolute. You have to believe the truth of this and own it. You have to believe this, not here, but in who you are. You have to own this. My life is meant to speak in the way God has made me so that people will see and experience his love and the life he has for me. That cannot just be something that you heard cool at church. That was encouraging. It looks like something they would put on a poster. No, it's how we're made. It's God's plans for the church and for the world. His plan for you. This is not just a neat Christian cliche thing, this is how it works. You have to believe this. You have to own this. Your life is supposed to speak in the way God has shaped you so that people will experience his love and the life that he has for them. You must, God does want your life to speak. God does want to use you you are meant to be part of something greater than yourself. You are meant to get more than just be paid for a job. You are made to do something greater. Others will, some people will get paid for whatever their vocation is. Others will work at something else while still flourishing in that vocation in different ways. And others won't collect a paycheck anywhere, but will still 100% flow in what God has made them. This is why vocation is such an important concept. It is not dependent on a paycheck. It is who you are regardless of anything. We have to ask the question, why am I here? Why am I here? And no, believe that God has an answer to that. That he wants to help you discover and this takes us to the ephesians passage for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do we are god's handiwork that first phrase there we are his handiwork we are his poetry we are his work of art that word is literally poem we are god's poem you are handmade You were creatively designed. You were formed with care. You are not coming off an assembly line with just angels putting on parts and things like that. You are hand-fashioned by God to be exactly who you were supposed to be. That includes the gifts and talents and passions and experience which fashion you uniquely as God has made you. Psalm 139 Says this: For you created God, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This idea that uh, next one. This idea that's this the psalm passage. This idea that God has designed us, that we are. He has created our inmost being, knit us together. We are hand made by god this is a big part of what we're going to talk about next week in discovering how god has made us but we have to get the basic truth down you are in god's eyes you are his masterpiece you are his poem you are part of his creation and beloved creation and so that should encourage us that should empower us that should help us to see ourselves as god sees us we are his handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works if if, if Biegner puts vocation simply with the place god calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet then here the author of ephesians puts it even more concise you were created in christ jesus to do good works you were created in christ jesus to do good works. It begins with our identity in him, but it goes beyond us to where we are in the world. God has made you to do things, to be part of what he's doing. Colossians 3 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You might not be able to verbalize your, your specific vocation yet. And that's good. That's understandable. We're just raising the question today. It's a journey we're going to go on and figure this out. But in the meantime, there isn't a th- we have to realize there isn't a thing that we do that isn't a holy thing. Everything you do is a chance for your life to speak in a way that makes God known. It says in Ephesians 5, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. Every moment is a holy moment to let your life speak and make him known. 2 Corinthians 5 says we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. We are his ambassadors. We are part of what he is doing. Mark Labberton says, I think I have a slide for this quote. Mark, didn't it all come through? Okay. Um, you and I are, are to be the tangible evidence of God's intent for and pursuit of the world today. Through, though the kingdom is God's work by the spirit, you and I are not spiritual mannequins. A form without life. We are meant to be active, willful, fruit-bearing agents of that kingdom. When we look at all that's happening in the world that isn't as it should be, we have to start wondering how much better things would be if the church would just do what it's supposed to be doing. If it would do it correctly and start being the people that God has called us to be. It wouldn't end everything because evil people are still going to do evil things. But if people, the church, and by that I mean the people, by that I mean you and I, not some people, us. If the church of Jesus Christ did the things that God has called us to do and let our lives speak the way he shaped us to speak in the way that people can see him and experience his life, we have to wonder if things would be a little better. And that should maybe cause us to want to figure out how our lives speak. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, the end of the verse says. From the very beginning of creation, we were meant to join God in in his work and in creation. It says in Genesis 1, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You, God, from the very beginning of creation said, I want you part of this. I want you in creation, joining me in the work of creation. I want you to be keeping this place and maintaining this place, being about the work with me. You are not an involuntary reaction by God. Where God got caught off guard and like here, try this church thing. God is specific and planned and knows what He's doing. You are not God's backup plan. God's king, on God's kingdom team, there is no B team, and no one is on the bench. We are all, every single one of us, meant to be part of what He is doing. We are His handiwork, His poem created in Christ Jesus to good works, to do the things that make people see and experience the goodness of God, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This has always been his plan. It's how God made humanity, that our life would speak in the way that God has shaped us so people will experience his love and the life that he offers. Who are you? And why are you here? Who are you and why are you here? You were not made to sleepwalk through life. You were not not made to be a couch potato. You were not made to be a spectator. You were made to let your life speak of the goodness and love of God. Thinking of that, I want to show you this second clip of Nightbird after she sings. I'm not not showing you the whole thing, but there's two specific things I want you to listen to and pay attention for. One, how Simon Cowell reacts to her performance and two, what Terry Crews says at the very end. So how Simon Cowell responds to her and Terry Crews' words at the very end of the clip. Your voice is stunning. Mm-hmm. It is. Absolutely stunning. And I, I totally agree with what Howie said, you know, about authenticity. There was something about that song after the way you just almost casually told us what you're going through. And, uh, you know.
1: You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. <laughs> Um
0: There are however, there have been some great singers this year Um, And I'm not gonna give you a yes I'm gonna give you something else 2%
1: chance of survival, but 2% is not 0%, 2% is something. And I wish people knew how amazing it is. You blew us all away. (laughs) You are the voice we all need to hear this year.
0: You are the voice that we all needed to hear this year. When i see this clip and i think about what happens in this i can't tell you how many times i've watched this this summer but thinking about this message thinking about this topic thinking about the fact that god has made us that our lives would speak in the way he has formed us that people would see his love and experience the life he has for them this to me is a powerful metaphor for that very idea It is a metaphor for what vocation is that our lives would speak. Because here is this woman who came and just bared her soul, just gave what she could, was honest, and spoke truth. She didn't go into all of her truth, she didn't talk about the fact that she's led worship before in churches. She didn't talk about what God means to her, the Christian college that she went to. She didn't talk about her prayers, calling out before God. She didn't say those in this moment. But she communicated the truth of the reality that, you know what, sometimes it's just okay to not be okay. Because we're all broken. And her using her voice, her speaking that, impacted at least that guy on the, t- on the table. And if you've ever watched Simon Cowell over the years, that's not the typical reaction that comes through. But it's way beyond just him as well. She used her voice in a way that impacted others, that encouraged and empowered others, that let people know that they're seen where they are. God wants you to do the same thing with your life. You're not going to probably know it. Most of us, 99.9% of us, will not do it on a big stage. The things you do, no one will maybe even see, or maybe only a few people will see. But you have to still let your voice call out, and cry out, and sing, or however you use it. You have to use your life. Not that gold is going to rain from the stage or anything like that. But the reality is, is that when God works through us and people experience the goodness of God and find life in God, the scriptures tell us that the angels celebrate that reality. And so it might not be a golden buzzer, but it's something much bigger and much greater. And God says, I want you to be a part of that. And so do you believe that that's what your life is supposed to do. Because the truth of the matter is that there's somebody around you. There is somebody in your circle of influence. There are people in this city. There are people in this world. Just as Cruz said at the end, they need to hear your voice. Your greatest gladness and joy meets their greatest need. The way that God has made you, has you have been made in a specific way that speaks the truth and shows love to them in the way they need it. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is the great truth we don't think about, we don't own, we don't get excited about. Because we get old, and we get busy, and we get tired, And we get hurt, and we forget who we are, and we forget to dream, and we forget the fact that God does amazing things. And the fact is, as G.K. Chesterton said, it's not God who gets old, it's us. Because God has the heart of eternal infancy, continually saying to the world and creation around him, do it again, do it again, do it again. And he says to you, let your life speak. He did not make you to be quiet. He did not make you to be mute. He did not make you to be a sleepwalker or dormant or a spectator. And so again, some of you figuring out who you are and why you're here, it might line up with what you're currently doing. It might mean you're doing that and you get to do other things, but we have to start thinking that through. So next week we're going to be Um, getting into that and really kind of starting the process of how do we figure out how God has shaped us? But I made um, these cards, bookmarks, cards, however you want to look at it, for everyone. And when you leave today, you're going to get one of these. Because really, that's the takeaway today. It is the simple call for you. Will you believe this? And will you ask the question? Not just once, but daily. And so I want you to put this someplace where you're going to see it. Maybe it's your car, maybe it's your desk, maybe it's the mirror in the morning, maybe it's a bookmark for something that you actually read and won't lose or set aside. But someplace where you're going to be reminded to ask the question and to daily ask the question, who are you and why are you here? Maybe asking that question causes you to evaluate your current employment. Maybe asking this question causes you to evaluate how you spend your time. Maybe asking this question causes you to evaluate the stuff that you own. Maybe asking this question causes you to evaluate the excuses and the reasons that you've been putting out there for why you don't do what you should be doing. Maybe asking this question causes you to realize that you've given in too much into fear and insecurity and not trusting the goodness of a God who's made you wonderfully and for specific purposes. Maybe asking this question causes you to evaluate your place in the church. Maybe asking this question causes you to evaluate how you see yourself in God's plan. And I hope and I pray that it does Ask the question. Keep asking the question. And over the weeks to come, we're going to help one another and think through how to discover the answer to it. Who are you? And why are you here? We're going to end with communion today. And so if you did not get um, one of these